bow in prayer as we get uh, started here. Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity to worship you in song and that you enjoy hearing us sing. Whether we can sing or not, you enjoy it. You say, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all you host. And Lord, we thank you that we have the opportunity to make a joyful noise. Lord, we ask your spirit to guide and lead as we look at your word and, and touch people if they need it and be able to lead others in where they need. In your son's name, amen. Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Therefore, my beloved, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Eudeus and beseech Cynthia that they be of the same mind of the Lord. And I entreat you also, true yoke fellow, help these women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other fellow laborers whose names are in the book of the life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. So we're going to stop there. We're looking at this, uh, Paul is starting to end his letter to the Philippians. And in true pastoral things, he goes, in conclusion, goes on for about 15 minutes, and then says, in conclusion, <laughs> and goes on for 15 minutes. You know, I don't know how many of you have ever seen that. I, I had a pastor who used to give you about five in conclusions in his, uh, in his messages. And you think about this, uh, I've tended to do it, I don't usually say in conclusion, but I'll be going along and I'm thinking I'm concluding and I'll go to another topic and another topic. And usually it is because just like Paul is saying here, my brethren dearly beloved and longed for. Because the pastor loves his people so much and they've studied so much and have so much to go, they keep thinking of all the extra things they want to say <laughs> to help their people. And this is where Paul's at. He's coming in his conclusion. He started his conclusion way back at verse 3, uh, chapter 1, where, uh, ver chapter 3, verse 1, where he says, finally, my <laughs> brethren. <laughs> and he went on for a whole chapter talking about a whole bunch of other things <laughs> that we've been talking about over the last uh, month. And now he's been, therefore, brethren, I'm going to give you this conclusion. Why? Because I long for you so much, and I really love being with you. And this is where the pastor's heart comes out of Paul. He loves the people. And he's going, you are dearly loved and longed for. He goes, my joy and my crown. You know, the greatest thing a pastor can do is talk to other pastors and say, you know, I've got the greatest church out there. My people love each other. You know, I've been in churches where the people don't love each other. You know, don't stay there long, usually. You know, because there's a lot of bitterness and anger that's going on there. But Paul is going to go on in this. You know, he, he goes, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Ultimately, that's my heart. As we go through the scriptures, I want people to stand strong in the scriptures. Not anything that I teach with the scriptures. And that's why I go verse by verse, <laughs> chapter by chapter, verse by verse, book by book. Because sometimes there's some hard things in the scriptures that a lot of people would rather just avoid. Today is one of those topics that, we've, that a lot of people would rather avoid that he's getting ready to talk about. And he goes, you know, stand fast. When you're taught, stand fast. He says, I beseech Eudias and I beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. These are two women, as the verse, next verse will tell us, that are fighting with each other. <laughs> okay. We know nothing about them other than this verse. Nothing. Historians don't even know anything about them other than what Paul tells us in these two verses. He goes, that they be of the same mind. 
And I entreat you also to help these women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with uh, my other fellow servants whose names are in the book of life. These women obviously have had some falling out amongst themselves. They've worked with Paul. They've worked with Clement. And if you don't know who Clement is, most scholars and early people believe that he was Clement of Rome, the, the bishop of Rome. Okay, that he was in control of the church in Rome. That's who the most believe. Now, Clement was a very popular name, so it could be any Clement in that church. But even the church early fathers who were very close to this letter believed that it was Clement of Rome. Now, don't take that for gospel because nobody knows for sure. But anyway, it's somebody that's helping Paul build the church. And he says then they've also helped other people building the church. These were women who were very strong in the church. What exactly broke them up and made them angry with each other? Who knows? But how many times in our churches do we see even good, strong workers in the church get upset with people and start attacking one another? We see it frequently. And then what usually happens here, Peter, excuse me, Paul is saying, I entreat you, you true yoke fellows, you true workers with me, help these women. Help these women who have labored. Bring them back into fellowship. What happens so often in a church when two people start having a problem? You know, people start taking sides. <laughs> well, this person said this, this person did this, you know, and, and all of a sudden you've got the church splitting up, taking sides on who was right and who was wrong. Ultimately, it really doesn't matter who was right and wrong in most cases. In most cases, it's really not that big a deal. Now, if somebody was teaching that Jesus Christ is the only way to go to heaven and somebody else is teaching, no, you, you go do works, now that's a pretty big deal. Okay, but you know, most of the problems in a church aren't big deal issues. Well, you got mad at this person or you didn't like this person or you didn't let me help in this way or you said you were just so mean to me the other day when you were just were speaking so sharply to me. And you know what, all those things might be true. <laughs> But they're all a perfect chance for us to love, our, love like Christ loves the church and show forgiveness. Is it easy? No, otherwise it wouldn't be the love of Christ. <laughs> you know, you know, our love that we're to show to one another truthfully starts with brotherly love. We just like each other. <laughs> you know, and you know, for the most part, I'm happy if everybody just has brotherly love for one another. You just like each other enough to not go to war when you come to church. <laughs> And you know, that's a pretty big step. That's a pretty big step in and of itself, is to have brotherly love. Just be able to put up with one another. <laughs> Maybe not even really like one another, but just you put up with one another. That's the first step. But Paul is encouraging them, take it further. Go to agape love. And un agape love, as most people have heard it defined, is unconditional love. You just love them because you do. I like the term objective love better, which means that I choose to love you and that's why I'm going to love you. That's God's love for it. So that's what it truly is agape love. God says, I love you. Not because you've done anything right. Not because you've done anything wrong. He just says, I love you. He has made a choice to love us. Now, how unromantic is that? You know, <laughs> You know, man, we should really like that. Oh, God, be love. We don't have to have any romance involved in it. We just choose to love. Now, that kind of love, though, works its way out. 
in a mighty way, in a mighty, mighty way. That means when somebody does something wrong, you love them. When they do something horribly wrong, <laughs> you love them. If they do something right, you love them. <laughs> you know, and for most of us, when they do something right, that's the easy love because we feel like we're getting something out of it. We're loving this person because they were nice to us. That's human love. You, you, you be nice to me and I'll love you. <laughs> but the moment you do something I don't like, I'm no longer going to love you. In our day and age, most marriages are based on human love. I like you. You're doing nice things to me. We're going to stay together. But the day you start doing things I don't like, then it's all over. And we see that going on right now. Most marriages last about three to five years, and that's about as long as human love can, t can withstand. Agape love is I've chosen to love you. I love the fact that God has objective love. He says, I have chosen to love you. How is the only way he will stop loving us? He would have to unchoose to love us. <laughs> and you know what? He says he's the same today, yesterday, today, and forever. He does not lie. He does not change his mind. He states that he loves us, which means he loves us. How much does he love us? John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's a lot of love. Especially when he was given for all these people who hate God. Now, how much would you do for somebody who hates you? Now, I mean, maybe even really hates you. Their whole goal in life may be to make you miserable. <laughs> and our flesh says, I'm going to stay as far away from that person as I can. I'm going to try to make their life miserable in return. That's not God's love. Jesus said, love your enemies, do good to them who despitefully use you. That's tough. That is a tough command that Jesus gives us. And the only way it can be done is through his love in us. The more we learn to love him, the more we will be able to give that love out. But it's him coming out of us. Really a tough thing. What is our job as the church, according to Paul here? He says, I entreat you. I beg you, <laughs> as also you true yoke fellows, help these women who labored with me and with Clement and with others whose name are in the book of life. Help them. You know, our job is to encourage one another, not to condemn one another. The greatest thing that we have in the scriptures is that God is the one who's going to do the convicting. I don't have to go out and tell everybody they're doing wrong. I don't have to go out and tell people, oh, you're wrong, you've got to change these. All I do is teach what God says, which may step on toes, which may even irritate people at times. But I'm not the one judging. I'm just saying what God says. The way of the master is built on evangelism by helping people understand that they're sinners. You know, one of the first things they, they get people to do, they go, you know, are you a good person? And they, most, most everybody out there says, yes, I'm a good person. It amazes me out at the prison that all the guys out there are good people. <laughs> you ask them if they're a good person, they're all, almost to the every one of them will say, yes, I'm a good person. Why? Because man compares himself to other men. And they'll always find somebody who's worse than them. You know, we tend to do the same thing if we want to think that we're good. Well, I'm not as bad as... <laughs> This person, this person, this person, and this person. So I'm a pretty good person. 
I'm better than most of the people I'm comparing myself with. I don't look at all those people who seem to have their whole life together as Christians. You know, that's all another group. I won't compare myself to them, but I'm, I'm better than even most of the Christians. <laughs> now, the sad thing is when you go on witness, you get that answer from people. I'm better than a lot of the Christians I know, which is a sad testimony of Christianity, the walk of Christianity that people have. But so we ask them, you know, well, can I ask you a couple questions to see if you're good? And it's a pretty simple thing. You know, have you ever told a lie? You know, anybody who tells you they haven't told a lie is lying. <laughs> you know, just plain and simple. Everybody has told a lie, at least one. If probably a lie every day or two, or two or three or four or five, six, seven, eight lies a day. <laughs> you know, especially when you take it from God's standard of lie. God says you don't tell the whole truth, you've lied. You know, how many times do we not tell the whole truth? I just tell as much of it as I feel I have to tell to stay out of trouble. You know, have you ever stolen? You know, most people have stolen something, somewhere, sometime. Most kids have stolen something at some point and had to, be, to have their parents take them back and say, return it back to her and tell them you're sorry. Uh, you know, have you ever used God's name in vain? You know, almost everybody has used his name as a curse word, and if they haven't, most everybody has still used his name in vain, in an empty way. You know, if you say, oh my God, and you're not praying to God, that's an empty usage of his name. That's using his name in vain. Now, you can keep going down the, the Ten Commandments, and you know, the great news is for us is when we're evangelizing people, everybody has violated almost every single commandment. Especially when you take it as far as Jesus says. He says, if you look after a woman with lust, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. Jesus raised the standard to our thought life. So we've all violated every single commandment at some point in our life. And we show them they're not good. You're not good. So our job is not to condemn people. Our job is just to say, this is who God says you are. Our job is to bring people back together into fellowship. How many times do I hear people say, well, I, that person just hurt me so bad, I can't forgive them. God forgives them. Or, worse yet, is I have done so many bad things, I can't forgive myself. God forgives you. If God will forgive you, you've got to be able to forgive yourself. If God forgives you and God has forgiven them, we need to be able to forgive them. It's very critical for us to get this attitude that we are to forgive one another. We're to express God's love. Now, forgiveness does not mean that I totally forget that you've ever done something wrong and let you do it 500 times to me. Okay? If you've done something really bad to me, I'm going to forgive you, but I'm not going to give you the... If you're somebody who steals, I'm not going to give you the, bill, the keys to my house. <laughs> and say, yeah, you can go to my house anytime you want because I've forgiven you. No. <laughs> if you've proven yourself to be a thief, I'm not giving you the keys to my house. If you've proven yourself to be a liar, I'm going to be temperate on what I listen to what you say. I'm giving you forgiveness. I'm going to say you're okay, but I'm not just going to say, okay, lie to me all you want, and I'll just believe whatever you say. That's not part of forgiveness. Because God, when he asks us to ask for forgiveness, he also asks for repentance. Repentance is turning away from our sin. This is what he's asking these ladies to do. These are ladies who have helped them build the church. They know the message of the gospel. They know how to give the gospel and teach people to forgive. But something has come between them and they won't forgive one another. We need to be so careful about not forgiving one another. 
Just the act of unforgiveness is destructive to your own body. Your own emotion, your own flesh and physical body gets hurt by lack of forgiveness. Your fellowship with God suffers from lack of forgiveness. And Paul is telling the people, help bring these women together. Help them, encourage them. Help them get past the unforgiveness in their heart. Because even though it doesn't say unforgiveness, it says that they be of the same mind, which means there's something there that has split them. Which means maybe they had a Bible study on the same night. <laughs> And they got angry at one another because they both had a Bible study on the same night. We don't know what it is that, that broke them up. But you know, how many silly little things divide people? How many times have you been really angry with somebody and when you think about it, you realize, what was the big deal? And even if it was a big deal, is it still important 50 years later? You know, how many times have you seen somebody who's been mad at somebody for decades? Just won't forgive them for whatever reason. You know, you know, whatever reason it might be. You stole, my, you stole my boyfriend or girlfriend 50 years ago and I'm angry at you still. And the person's moved on from that person a long time ago just showed that that person didn't have enough you know, faithfulness to be true anyway probably the best thing that ever happened to you. And you'd, be, you'd stay mad with somebody for decades. We need to be careful about this. It breaks fellowship with, no, if nothing else, between you and that individual and you and God. Have you ever tried to fix somebody when you fix it when you've been mad at somebody for a long time? You go up and apologize and they ask you for what? They don't even remember? <laughs> You know, they don't even, they don't even know, maybe they didn't even know you were mad at them. <laughs> well, I thought it was strange that you didn't talk to me all the time, but I didn't know you were mad at me. It breaks fellowship. And you know, we're usually the one that's hurt when we break fellowship over something like that. The other person usually just goes on without ever thinking about it. These two obviously were breaking up the church. And Paul's saying, get it taken care of. Get it taken care of. Help them come together. Whatever it takes, do an intervention. Bring them together and get it out in the open. Help them out. Love them. Encourage them. Our fellowship one with another is so important. Jesus said, they, we will, they will know you are my disciples by your love one for another. True Christians love one another. True Christians have a, an inviting atmosphere in the church. Oh, isn't it wonderful when you go to a church and people love each other and there's that, the joy that you feel and you know that the presence of God is there because the people are caring one for another. But we want to be able to learn forgiveness. We want to help those. If you see somebody who has a problem with somebody, encourage them to go to them and get it fixed up. Don't start taking side. You know, well, you know, if somebody had done that to me, I'd have been really upset with them too, and all of a sudden you just encourage them to keep the division. Now, if you went on with that, you know, I know that really would have hurt, but we need to be like Christ and be able to forgive one another and let it go of it. We encourage the forgiveness. But when we start taking sides and we start saying, oh yeah, you've got, you've got every reason in the world to not like that person. 
Have you ever had people give you ungodly counsel like that? You know, just, oh, it's, it's really good that you're that angry with them. You just stay angry because they really did things that are wrong with you. How about this when you're talking to your best friend who's having a hard time in their, in their marriage and they go, you know, if I was treated that way, I'd leave also. You know, really wonderful godly advice there. <laughs> you know, now, if somebody's being beat or, or emotionally beat, then I would say, yes, get out and, and separate yourself and just get you counseling. But, you know, we need to make sure that our advice and our counsel is godly advice, not the world's way of looking at it. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Fireproof, but there's a huge scene in there where their, their marriage is on the rocks and she's getting ungodly counsel from all of her girlfriends. He's getting godly counsel from a, a man. And they bounce back and forth and their words are very much the same in their sentences, but the answers on what to do are totally different from a godly perspective or a world's perspective. Are you throwing fire? When people talk to you, when you see problems, are you throwing wood on the fire to keep the fire burning? and staying with the world's way of doing it? Or are you adding the Holy Spirit's counsel and the word of God and trying to put out the fire and bring back unification? This is what we're looking for as Christians. When you hear somebody who's having a battle with each other, encourage them. We need to get you guys together so we can work this out and get forgiveness coming out of it. We need to pray for one another so that this won't happen anymore. How many times have you had somebody, maybe you've even done it, you've had somebody get mad at you because you said something that you didn't even think was a bad thing, but they took it as a bad thing. Now, you might even hear, well, you said the right words, but the look on your face <laughs> was really angry. And we laugh, but you know, that happens all the time. You don't say anything wrong, but your posture or your look or, or the fact that you didn't continue, and they go, well, you just were. You said, you did all the wrong things. And it's like, well, I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> we need to be so careful about how we react to other people. How do we react one to another? Are we loving one another enough to go, you know, you did this and it really hurt me, but I, I just am letting you know so that you don't do it again and I'm forgiving you of it. Forgiveness. Forgiveness the way God does. You know, most people will go, well, I'll forgive them when they come and ask me for forgiveness. Maybe you've done that. You know, when they show me they're sorry, I'll forgive them. I am so glad that God didn't take that attitude. I will send my son when the people finally show that they want forgiveness. Jesus would never have come. God decided, I'm going to send my son, even though they hate me, they're my enemies. God commended his love toward us, though while we were yet sinners, put in enemy, Christ died for us. God says, I'm going to reach out. They may still reject me reaching out, but I'm going to reach out to them. I'm going to touch them and ask them to accept. This is what forgiveness is all about. Many times it may be you initiating it and them not even being able to respond. But as long as you've forgiven them, you've done your part with God, you've restored fellowship to as far as you can. You encourage others to restore fellowship and, and repent. You know, you get somebody go, well, I'm just so mad at so-and-so. Well, how about if you just go and apologize to them for whatever your part was in it? 
well, I didn't do anything wrong. Well, apologize just for being in the room then. <laughs> now, if that's all you do was, you were in the same room with them, then tell them you're sorry that you will try to do better <laughs> through God's help in the future. Most people will melt when they've given an apology because they know that there's a humbleness. Now, if you're just speaking the words, don't do it. <laughs> don't ever just speak the words. Now, how many of us, when we were young, made our, uh, younger parents made our kids go, now you go apologize to your brother or sister. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, no, mean it. <laughs> An apology, if it's not meant, is not worth anything. All right? If you're not really, truly ready to forgive, don't go try to tell, pretend to be forgiving to them. Because they'll know. And it'll only make matters worse. But ask God to help you learn to forgive. He's waiting to forgive others. And Paul ends this little section with, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. You know, for us Christians, it's such an easy life because we get to rejoice. Why can we rejoice? Well, a number of things. God's in charge. <laughs> I love the fact that God's in charge. Nothing will happen to me that he hasn't allowed. Nothing will happen to you that he hasn't allowed. You know what? Even if they're not his children, nothing will happen to the lost world that he doesn't allow. Because he is absolute sovereign rule, ruler. That, to me, gives me great joy. Just that one point. He is in charge. <laughs> nothing, nothing, nothing happens to me without him allowing it. The second great truth that I grab hold of is Romans 8, 28. For all things work together for good for those who are called according to the purpose of God. God has a reason for everything that happens to us. Now, sometimes we may not have a clue what that reason is. We may never know what the reason is this side of heaven. But you know what? God says there's a reason. Most of the time, he'll show us that reason. Sometimes it may, may take a decade or two for him to show it to us. But he has a reason for it. The times that your car has a flat tire, and you change your flat tire, or you need help changing your flat tire, whichever the case might be, especially if you need help, and this person comes along, and you get a chance to give the gospel to that person, and they get saved. Was the flat tire worth the, worth the effort? I think so. You know, what happens out there that God is saying, I've got a reason, I've got a plan for it? He puts you through a very hard time so that you're able to minister to somebody else a couple years later who's going through the same type of thing you're going through. And you're able to minister to them instead of feeling, well, you know, I don't know what's wrong with you. I've never had that kind of problem. You go, oh, yeah, I know exactly what it feels like to have that happen to me, to you. I know what it feels like to have a rebellious child. I know what it feels like to have this happen. I know what it feels like to lose my health. I know what it feels like to have these things. There's a reason for it, and God says, I'm, I have got a reason. Rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice, Paul says. So in case you didn't think about it and remember it the first time, he goes, I'm repeating it again, rejoice. Be thankful. Be thankful. Now, that doesn't mean that, okay, I'm in extreme amount of pain and sickness. God, thank you for being sick. No, 
God, thank you. Help me learn what it is you're wanting me to learn through this sickness. If you're, if you're rejoicing because of the pain and suffering, you've got, a problem, you've got other problems to have to deal with. <laughs> but God, thank you. You've chosen to put me through this so that I can be a servant before you. I know a friend who, who had breast cancer, and he said he loved having going to chemotherapy. He goes, I have a captive audience next to me for three hours, three times a week. He goes, once I get that IV, he goes, I can talk to them all for three hours, and they're not leaving. <laughs> you know, kind of reminds me of what Paul said, you know, uh, I've got these guards chained to me. People are chained to me, uh, you know, four hours at a time, they're stuck with me. <laughs> Do we look at things that way? I'm rejoicing in whatever God's allowing me to go through because something is going to be done for the kingdom of heaven. I've seen people who have gone to the hospital. I've seen a couple, and I've heard a lot of testimonies, where they've gone to the hospital, they're dying, and they're witnessing to the nurses and doctors and the respiratory therapists and everybody else coming around them, you know, telling them, I'm going home. Uh, I'd really like to meet you again up in heaven. Uh, this is what you have to do to get to heaven. You have to accept that you're a sinner, know that you deserve punishment, and accept the gift of Jesus Christ. Would that be your attitude if you were laying on a bed on the edge of death? God, here's my opportunity to, to share the gospel with these people. For many of us, that may not be true. For some of us, it would be true. That I'm taking every opportunity to lift Jesus up. And you know how impressive it is when somebody's lifting Jesus up in the middle of hardship? And people are looking at him. And, you know, if, if my bank account had been totally wiped out by this bank going out of business and not having any insurance, I would be in desperate need. Well, God, thank you. <laughs> you know, man, man and wife coming home from, the, from, from a date and they're finding their house on fire. And this has happened many times. And they'll tell people, well, praise God, nobody was home. You know, how, how do you react to things that, that God allows coming in your, into your path? Are you ready to lift him up? Or are you totally destroyed? This is the key for us. How are we going to react is there somebody in your life that you need to forgive? If there is, I would encourage you today, get hold of them. If it's somebody who's already passed, put, them a, put an empty chair like they tell you to and forgive, you know, ask the empty chair to forgive you, but get it out of your life because you really can't go there. But if it's somebody who's still alive, do not wait to get the relationship repaired. Whether they take it or accept it or not is not the issue. You do from your part Clean up your, your, your part of the unforgiveness. If they accept it, you've restored fellowship. If they don't, you and God are okay. And you're going to have a pure heart toward them. You're not going to be angry every time you see them. Is there, you know, just think about that. If you're not forgiving, there's some people, you know, and I've seen people who have actually turned around and gone the other direction when they've seen the certain people come around. Even in a church. You know, oh, got to go this way because I don't, just can't be with that person. That is what unforgiveness does. It breaks fellowship. And it breaks the fellowship with God. So I'm encouraging you, if there's anybody in your life that you need to have, restore your fellowship, do it this afternoon. Go to them, phone them up, write a letter, whatever it takes, and say, I have been mad at you for, you know, this many years. I am asking your forgiveness and I am repenting of my bitterness and anger and I'm asking you just to forgive me and then let God deal with it
because it is critical that we don't keep that bitterness in our heart. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love us, that you are the example of forgiveness, that you are the example of how to love one another. Lord, if there's anybody in this room and listening to this online that has bitterness with somebody, we ask that you burden their heart to go out and to clear up that bitterness, that unforgiving, and be able to come right before you and before them. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.